From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be sitting in today for Tony, and I want to thank you for making Washington Watch part of your day today. All right, coming up on the program, the consequences of President Biden's disastrous border policies continue to wreak havoc. We've all seen how more than 10,000 migrants pouring into the country every day have literally overwhelmed cities throughout the country, and how seeding control of our border to the cartels has created a host of crises, including a fentanyl crisis. But now the federal authorities have closed two major rail crossings into the United States due to the crisis there at the border. This, of course, is now threatening U.S. trade and supply chains. CBP has shut down railway operations there in Eagle Pass to redeploy CBP personnel to help with Border Patrol. Essentially, they're stopping international commerce to help speed up processing. Well, that was Fox News national correspondent Bill Malugin reporting yesterday from Eagle Pass there in Texas. And here in just a few moments, I'll be joined by Texas Congressman Randy Weber to discuss that. He serves on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And we have some good news. There's a win both for religious freedom and freedom of speech. The Virginia Supreme Court said last week that Peter Vlaming, He's a high school teacher who was fired for refusing to use a student's incorrect pronouns due to his religious faith. Well, that teacher's faith and speech was protected by the free exercise and free speech clauses of the Virginia Constitution, according to the Supreme Court of that state. Peter and his attorney at the Alliance Defending Freedom will join me in a little while to discuss that important case. And the state of Ohio is now poised to join a growing list of states and legislation protecting children from harmful and permanent gender procedures that include sterilization and mutilation. Both chambers of the Ohio General Assembly passed HB 68. This is Ohio's version of the SAFE Act. And now that bill is awaiting a signature from Republican Governor Mike DeWine who has not yet made a decision. This is a very, very contentious issue. Other states have had dealt with this issue as well. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, my decision will be based on one thing, and that is what I think is in the best interest of the children who are being, who would be impacted uh, by this particular law. You wouldn't think that this decision would be that difficult. Of course, that was Governor DeWine speaking to the press yesterday. And we'll get an update on his holdup from a Ohio State Representative, Gary Click, who is also a church pastor and the one who sponsored the legislation that so far the governor has not yet signed. And as you just heard, Governor DeWine says that he wants to do what's best for the children. Well, hopefully, he'll listen to this. My childhood was ruined, along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. A powerful, powerful testimony. That was detransitioner Chloe Cole testifying on Capitol Hill 
just a couple of months ago. And since Governor De DeWine also wants to hear from some experts, well, we've got that too. FRC's Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who specializes in the study of traumatic effects, will join me to discuss why signing this legislation will indeed protect children in Ohio. And she'll also share how you can help encourage the governor to recognize this. So we've got a lot coming your way. And of course, our website is TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any portion of the program. Or if you want to check out some previous programs, we've got them all archived right there for you and a lot of great resources as well. So be sure to visit that website, TonyPerkins.com. And let me just say this, as we start the new year, we are excited about starting afresh our Bible reading plan, and we want you to join us. And we also invite you to join us with the new Stand on the Word journal. It's yours free for a generous tax-deductible year-end gift. Uh, we'd love for you to join us in the Stand on the Word as it gets started afresh and doing so with the Stand on the Word journal. To get your copy, you can do so by calling and ordering, and you can call it 1-800-225-4008. Again, that's 800-225-4008. All right, now let's jump into our first topic for the day. On Sunday, uh, federal authorities closed a, some rail bridges in Eagle Pass and El Paso, Texas. Uh, these are two crucial points for transportation of freight between uh, Texas and Mexico in order to uh, redeploy, they said. They closed these so that they could redeploy Border Patrol elsewhere. And according to Union Pacific Rail Company, the Eagle Pass and El Paso border crossings represent 45% of its cross-border business with Mex Mexico. You know, this is a, our country's second largest trade partner. Well, the Biden administration has chosen to the, the faster processing of migrants over international commerce. And what effects is all this going to have? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Randy Weber. He serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, as well as the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. He represents the 14th District of the great state of Texas. Congressman Weber, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Good to be here. Well, it's great to be here uh, with you as well. And listen, I've noticed right away, there you are wearing a tie. I have dressed down knowing that you are out of session. And here you, in your, your wonderful fashion is always keeping me humble. There you are showing up with a tie. But uh, nonetheless, great to see you. Well, have, you seen, have you seen what tie it is? Hey, look, and make matters, listen, a pro-Israel tie. Way to go. Absolutely. Outstanding. Absolutely. Proud of you. I'm proud of you. All right, let's jump into to this discussion here. Um, you are the master of one-liners, so let me put it to you this way. We, we have rail bridges now being shut down. Is it fair to say that the Biden administration's policy on the southern border has been a train wreck? Well, absolutely. That's gone on for a long time. Uh, I actually filed a bill recently that said, let's reinstate the remaining Mexico policy. People ought to have to stay there to, to turn in their claim that they need asylum. And uh, Biden's, uh, uh, Biden, President Biden, I call him Obama's fourth or third term, has done everything the opposite. He's absolutely opened the borders to let everybody in. 
And what this is doing, Jody, it's interrupt, not only is it interrupting international trade, Mexico is Texas's number one trading partner. Biden doesn't care about how it affects agriculture, business, uh, parts for automobiles, whatever the uh, uh, trade may be. He wants to make it easier for these people to get across. It's plain and simple. And you know what? He's on track for that. Yeah, he really is. And looking at the images even on the screen right now, it's, it's, it is beyond words to describe what's going on there. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted you on, Congressman, is because your role on energy and commerce, the committee there, uh, and you were just alluding to it. What kind of impact will these closings of the rail system have on commerce? Well, some regulation, I mean, some uh, authorities are saying uh, it will impact us two, it will be shut down $2 million a day in trade. Now, that doesn't, think about that. Think about that, number one. Number two, think of the increased uh, traffic that's going to come across. And all Biden's going to do is move CBP agents over now uh, to assist with everything else they can at the border crossings, even on train tracks. And that doesn't really address the problem at all. We're just spending more money, more manpower to make sure more people can get in this country. He's ignoring the root of the problem. Our commerce will suffer. There's no question. And, uh, and when the commerce of Texas suffers, the commerce of the country suffers as well. Uh, yeah. to, to go a little bit deeper into this whole issue with the southern border, uh, what, what's your take on the negotiations that are taking place in the Senate right now for some more restrictions? There's no question in my mind, Congressman, that the Senate is fully aware that whatever they come up with is ultimately going to have to pass in the House. Uh, what are you hearing as far as any progress in the Senate? Well, we're hearing a stalemate. You hear all kinds of rumors out of, of the Senate. Of course, as we, you know, we like to say, the Democrats are the opposition, but the Senate is the enemy because uh, they want to shove everything down our throat. In fact, Schumer said that. We passed over a pretty good bill to help our friends Israel with the pay for, as you know. And we said that was going to be, we would demand nothing, that was it, nothing less. And, of course, Schumer's infamous comment was, well, the House doesn't really understand how it works. Oh, we understand how it works. Y'all want to shove this down our throat. You want it your way or the highway. We don't have time for those games. Our border is wide open. My district doesn't want to fund Ukraine uh, anymore until we get some extreme accountability, until we take care of our own border problems. And yet this, again, this Biden White House is on track to continue the train wreck known as his administration. Absolutely. And the governor of your state and uh, many leaders are in your state are doing everything they can. In fact, uh, Governor Abbott just signed, I believe it was yesterday or, uh, or just yep. within the last few days, a new law that makes uh, illegal immigration a state crime. Uh, and look, it's, it's states like Texas and Arizona that, that bears so much of the weight of Biden's border crisis. Uh, what's your take on the uh, law that the governor signed in spite of the fact that the White House is pushing against it? Well, we're going to have to bear that burden. You know, I was in the Texas House for four years, and I was vice chair of the Border Committee my second term. I can tell you things about the Texas border. Back then, we were putting $200 million a session on the border. Now it's like $3 billion. We're going to bear the brunt of this. Uh, if we're going to arrest those who are illegally entering the, the country, and that was the, that's the intent here, 
we got to have a place to st- uh, keep them. Uh, you got to feed them. You know, you got to give them a warm or an air conditioned or heated place to stay. Uh, you got to tend to their needs. So it's going to impact Texas in a big way. Fortunately, Texas has got, uh, you know, some surplus money built up, but there's no, absolutely no way on God's green earth that we should have to pay for the international border problem uh, with Mexico. And this administration is intent on letting it rock and roll just like it is. Yeah, and I think the vast majority of Americans are right alongside of you. Uh, And it's just uh, stunning the the resistance from this administration. You would at least think that in an election year that Democrats as a whole, the White House would at least want to give the appearance of trying to do something on the southern border. But they, uh, at least from my perspective, they don't even appear to want to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's blatant in your face. And you look at the what happens as a result of that, Jody. Uh, the CBP sources said in the last 24 hours, there was more than 12,600 migrants encountered. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that those are the ones we know about. Those are the ones we catch, the ones that they call right. the gotaways. We don't know about them. And, you know, the FBI has put out a warning of a heightened alert that we're, they're afraid there may be some terroristic acts in our country because of those coming across from countries like Syria, Iran, Iraq, Absolutely. and that area over there. And listen, yep. 12,600 migrants in 24 hours. Yeah, if it was 10,000, it's 300,000 a month. You bet. You bet. Congressman Randy Weber from Texas, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas to you and your dear family. All right, friends, coming up after the break, Peter Vlaming will join me to discuss the court case. And uh, you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Again, I'm Jody Heiss, FRC's Senior Vice President, and pleased to be sitting in today for Tony. All right, in 2019, a French teacher, Peter Vlaming, was fired from the West Point High School in Virginia for refusing to cater to a trans-identifying student's preferred pronouns. But even after the teacher tried to compromise by using the student's name, in an effort to avoid pronouns, the school was not satisfied and they fired him. Well, Peter turned around and sued the school with the help of our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom. And Peter and his attorney, Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Chris Shandoval, joins me now to share the new developments in this case involving Peter, a very, very important case. Peter and Chris, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having us on. Well, my pleasure. Uh, Peter, let me start with you. Uh, just overall, give us the latest from the Virginia Supreme Court. Well, now to follow one's conscience, one doesn't have to lose their job in Virginia. Uh, uh, to put it even more plainly, to refuse to, to speak lies or refuse to speak against one's conscience is no longer uh, punishable by being fired. That's fantastic news. And, you know, we, we always like to highlight around here great victories, and I see this as one of those. Chris, if you would clarify for our audience just what this actually means in uh, very practical terms across the board. Sure. So this is a, a huge win for Peter, obviously. Uh, and it's also really a historic victory for free speech and for religious liberty uh, for all Virginians uh, across the Commonwealth. What the Supreme Court of Virginia uh, held last Thursday uh, is that no one can be forced or compelled to endorse the government's viewpoint on a controversial issue like gender identity. Um, and, and what happened here in this case, the school board was trying to do just that by trying to compel him to use pronouns that express ideological messages about sex and gender and biology. Uh, the school was essentially trying to force Peter to uh, express agreement with the school's position on gender identity. And when he politely declined and said, I'm happy to avoid pronouns, I just I just can't affirmatively express that message. Uh, the school said, well, that's not good enough. Uh, you're fired. Uh, and the Supreme Court of Virginia uh, last uh, Thursday said, no, that's not good enough. That violates the Virginia Constitution. Well, wow, that's powerful. You know, when 
when they fired him for a, a, using the student's name, I mean, that's just like uh, really a statement of trying to force him to comply with a worldview and ideology that he disagrees with. Peter, how long have you known this student? Was this uh, kind of a, a new acquaintance, or have you known this student? Not at all. Not at all. One of my favorite students, this was her third year in my class. I was the only French teacher in the middle school and high school, which were combined under the same roof. And uh, she had been in my class for exploratory French, French uh, first year, and this was uh, second year French when all of this went down. And it was a, a student that I got along very well with, uh, a student that I liked very much. And, um, and also, though I, I didn't agree with her choices, that's not something, it wasn't a subject that I pronounced. I didn't say anything about my stance in the subject. I wanted to... Uh, continue showing her as much, showing her respect, uh, you know, keeping my conscience clear. And so I did, like you mentioned, I did use her new chosen name, uh, but I, and, and I avoided using feminine pronouns in her presence, but the the school, the, the administration really wanted me to become a true believer and to formally and publicly uh, start using uh, masculine pronouns to refer to the student, uh, even when the student wasn't present, or even when students weren't, and when, when, no, when no students were present, uh, between faculty members, uh, they they obliged me to uh, to show that I was totally on board, and, and I told them, no, I can't do that. Yeah, and uh, that's really the essence of this. They were trying to force you into their belief. Why was it important for you to take this stand? Well, it, it seemed very clear to me from the get-go that this was, uh, this was totalitarian, that uh, through uh, taking control of, of speech and imposing speech, they were forcing, like you said yourself, they're forcing a belief system and a belief system that I consider to be utterly false. Um, the, the fact that we're created men and women is an integral part of what it means to be a Christian and to believe in uh, God's revealed truth, and just what we see with our you know, with with our eyes. Uh, so uh, that's why it was important for me to take a stand. This was about being truthful and also about modeling uh, truthfulness and integrity to my students. My students all knew that I was a Christian, and they and I knew that they were looking to see, well, what is Mr. Vlaming going to do? How is he going to approach this? Is, is he going to fold? Is he going to just go along, go along to get along? Um, is he going to, uh, just so I, I don't make any waves, or is he going to, to take a stand? So my, my witness to my students is also a big part of, of my motivation. Absolutely. Chris, what's next in this case? Is it done or are there additional steps yet to come? So because procedurally this case was dismissed uh, right out of the gate, we never actually got our day in court. 
in the trial court. Uh, the case does go back down to the trial court now, and this lawsuit is reinstated and allowed to proceed. Um, and for all the non-lawyers out there, that, that may sound like a very procedural victory. Uh, but in reality, the victory here is much broader because what the practical effect of the Supreme Court of Virginia's decision is, uh, is that if everything that we say happened to Peter and the reasons the school used and cited for firing him really did happen, uh, then his constitutional rights absolutely were violated. Uh, and we know from the evidence that we have, from the, the written documents that the school released, that they literally fired him not for something he said, not for something he did, but for something that he could not in good conscience say. And what the Supreme Court of Virginia has said is that violates the Constitution. Uh, and so moving forward in the trial court, we are very confident about the strength of the arguments that we're making. Well, thank you so much, Peter Vlaming and Chris Chandeval, for your leadership in this. Um, God bless you both, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for leading the charge here. All right, friends, coming up, the Ohio State Representative Gary Click is going to join me to discuss a new law in Ohio that will protect children if, if the governor signs it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I am your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony, and we appreciate you joining us as well. All right, we continue to see a lot of momentum at the state level for laws to protect children from experimental gender procedures that bring permanent and destructive results. In fact, there are some 22 states already that have uh, passed similar legislations to that that we're talking about now in Ohio. 
where the General Assembly recently passed HB 68, known as the Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Also, we all, most of us refer to it as simply the SAFE Act. Well, the bill now awaits the signature of Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, who so far has not weighed in on this legislation, uh, but now he's under fire from the usual suspects of people who are ready to villainize those who are working to protect children from mutilation and sterilization and the like. Uh, so viewers and listeners in Ohio, we need your help to push this legislation across the goal line. So uh, we'll uh, give you some pointers on how you can be involved with that here in just a moment, but just to give you a heads up before we get into this. Joining me now to discuss this is the sponsor of HB 68, State Representative Gary Click. He represents the 88th District of Ohio and also is a pastor. Representative Click, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Hey, good evening. Uh, it's great to be with you, Jody. You're one of my heroes as a pastor who served in the legislature yourself. I've watched you carefully. Thank you for paving the way and setting the example. Well, thank you very much, my friend. I love pastors, and I tell you, so much rests on our shoulders these days as pastors to uh, deal with the issues that are facing our country uh, from a biblical perspective and really change the moral climate and you have been doing that, and I likewise just hats off to you, Gary, and thank you. You introduced this legislation to protect children. Uh, it's now been passed. It's waiting for mm -hmm. your governor uh, to sign it. Give us the latest. Where does it stand right now? Well, and it's also a twofer because it also includes Save Women's Sports. That was rolled into it as well. So we have the benefit of both. Right. So we've gift-wrapped both of these bills for the governor, sent them to him and uh they're sitting on his desk it was a super majority in both chambers and in, in both the house and in the senate and, and it sits on his desk i've had conversations with the administration and uh listen we're putting the right people in front of him the governor is asking the right questions they are giving him the right answers i don't know how he can avoid coming to the right conclusion uh, our governor does care about kids he, he has not until recently i don't think had the opportunity to study this issue and we know that the, the other side of the hospitals, they're doing a lot of fear-mongering, and they're trying to tell him that, you know, trans kids are going to die and things like that. And uh, they're putting a lot of fear into him, but we're putting the people in there to counter that argument. And uh, we've let him talk to uh, medical professionals, to doctors. We've let him talk to uh, trans kids, uh, parents, and so forth, or and detransitioners. And we're, we're putting everyone in front of him. And like I said, he's asking all the right questions. Uh, and I have to believe that in the end, the governor is going to do the right thing. We have no guarantees. We have no promises. But but as that clock ticks, you know, I, I was on the phone today with, you know, different parents and uh, detransitioners, and they're all on pins and needles. They're, cry they're crying, talking to me on the phone, and they just can't wait. And they're ready just to bust into tears of joy when the governor signs this bill. Wow. Well, listen, again, it sounds like you're doing all the right things as well. And I, I don't know of anyone, particularly in Ohio, uh, that knows this issue any better than you do. Uh, and, and you've seen, as you just described one individual there, you've seen that these procedures cause harm to children. Uh, I, I, I get the, the, the feel that you are, at the end of the day, optimistic that Governor DeWine will make the correct decision. Is that the correct read? That, that is my sense. I, I don't have any promises. I don't have any guarantees that, you know, the, the governor hasn't given me the wink and the nod or anything like that. 
but just by the sense of the, you know, they're asking me questions right now. They're talking to me, they're communicating with me and they're saying, do you have this kind of person that we can talk to you? Do you have that kind of a person? Uh, and, and, and I'm trying to help them make contact. I know the other side, they're talking to people on the other side as well, but the people that I am putting in front of him are very compelling uh, people. Some people here in Ohio, we have, you know, Morgan uh, Keller recently came out as a detransitioner. She was still uh, in, you know, living as the opposite sex when we started carrying this bill. And uh, she met Chloe Cole after she detransitioned and she, Chloe connected her with us. And, uh, you know, Morgan uh, actually reached back out to the people that counseled her here in Ohio, in Columbus. And she said, you know, you failed me. You didn't ask all the key questions you should have asked. And her therapist said, I'm sorry, I think I did fail you. I just wanted to affirm you. And what a terrible excuse that is. And then she says to Chloe, she says, wow. this is all just so new. And that's what we've been saying. This is experimental. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. They're just wow. guessing at it. I've talked to parents today, even some parents I hadn't even had a chance to have in-depth conversations with before because they don't want to be public. Uh, but they said, you know, we go in to see these doctors at Nationwide or some of these other places, and they they treat us like idiots if we ask questions. And, and they tell us the only choice we have is hormones and to affirm our child as the opposite sex. They don't, and, and we just get bullied if we ask any other questions. And uh, that's Gary, real quickly, our time, is, yes. our time is slipping away. Uh, tell me real quickly how listeners and viewers can help. Uh, how can they contact Governor DeWine uh, and put sure. a little positive pressure on him. Yeah, just just Google the Ohio get... governor. I think it's uh, governor.ohio.gov. If you go there, uh, there'll be a contact us link. Reach out, let him know that you need him to sign this HB 68. The and we're going to put the phone sports. number up. We're going to we're that. putting the phone number up right now. 614-466-3555. That's 614-466-3555. All right, friends, stay tuned. Much more on this issue happening in Ohio coming your way right after the break. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. 
Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody High, sitting in today for Tony. And you just heard from Representative uh, Pastor Gary Click is the author of the HB 68 in Ohio. So appreciative of him coming on and explaining what this is all about. And now we all sit and wait as Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is looking over this bill. He's, um, yeah, look, this is a bill that protects children in his state from harmful and permanent medical procedures that include mutilation and sterilization. This is a very, very contentious issue. Other states have had dealt with this issue as well. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, my decision will be based on one thing, and that is what I think is in the best interest of the children who are being, who would be impacted uh, by this particular law. Okay, we give Governor DeWine the benefit of the doubt, the belief when he says he wants to do that which is best for the children. Let's believe him and let's encourage him to make that best decision. And what I would like to do right now is play for you a congressional testimony that took place uh, a couple of months ago. In fact, uh, Representative Click referred to Chloe Cole just a few moments ago. Uh, she has been on Washington Watch several times, but she underwent these procedures when she was a child. She has experienced firsthand the havoc that is caused uh, by these procedures when they are uh, done to anyone, but particularly to young people. And she has challenged lawmakers and those who care about children, Governor DeWine, those who care about children, she has challenged them to do the right thing. And I want you to hear just a little bit, a couple of minutes, a few minutes of her testimony. And I certainly hope Governor DeWine hears this as well. So for the next few moments, listen to this powerful testimony. Here's Chloe. My name is Chloe Cole, and I'm a detransitioner. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe that I was born in the wrong body. 
and the adults in my life whom I trusted affirmed my belief, and this caused me lifelong irreversible harm. I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. I speak to you in the hope that you will have the courage to bring the scandal to an end and ensure that other vulnerable teenagers, children, and young adults don't go through what I went through. At the age of 12, I began to experience what my medical team would later diagnose as gender dysphoria. I was well into an early puberty, and I was very uncomfortable with the changes that were happening to my body. I was, intimida- I was intimidated by male attention, and when I told my parents that I felt like a boy, in retrospect, all I meant was that I hated puberty, that I wanted this newfound sexual attention to go away, that I looked up to my brothers a little bit more than I did to my sisters. I came out as transgender in a letter I sent on the dining room table. My parents were immediately concerned. They felt like they needed to get outside help from medical professionals, but this proved to be a mistake. It immediately set our entire family down a path of ideologically motivated deceit and coercion. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see told my parents that I needed to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son? The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down, and in retrospect, I can't blame them. This was the moment that we all became victims of so-called gender-affirming care. I was fast-tracked onto puberty blockers and then testosterone. The resulting menopausal-like hot flashes made focusing on school impossible. I still get joint pains and weird pops in my back, but they were far worse when I was on the blockers. A month later, when I was 13, I had my first testosterone injection. It's caused permanent changes to my body. My voice will forever be deeper, my jawline sharper, my nose longer, my bone structure um, permanently masculinized, my Adam's apple more prominent, my fertility unknown. I look in the mirror sometimes and I feel like a monster. I had a double mastectomy at 15. They tested my amputated breast for cancer. And I was cancer free, of course. I was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with my still developing body or my breasts other than that as an insecure teenage girl. I felt awkward about it. After my breasts were taken away from me, the tissue was incinerated. Before I was able to legally drive, I had, part, I had a huge part of my future womanhood taken from me. I will never be able to breastfeed. I struggle to look at myself in the mirror at times. I, w- I, still, I still struggle to this day with sexual dysfunction. And I have massive scars across my chest. And the skin grafts that they use, that they took of my nipples, are weeping fluid today. And they were grafted into a more masculine positioning, they said. After surgery, my grades in school plummeted. Everything that I went through did nothing to address my underlying mental health issues that I had. And my doctors, with their theories on gender, thought that all my problems would go away as soon as I was surgically transformed into something that vaguely resembled a boy. Their theories were wrong. The drugs and surgeries changed my body, but they did not and could not change the basic reality that I am and forever will be a female. When my specialist first told my parents that they could have a dead daughter or a live transgender son, I wasn't suicidal. I was a happy child who struggled because she was different. However, at 16, after my surgery, I did become suicidal. I'm doing better now. But my parents almost got the dead daughter promised to them by my doctors. My doctors had almost created the very nightmare they said they were trying to avoid. 
So what message do I want to bring to American teenagers and their families? I didn't need to be lied to. I needed compassion. I needed to be loved. I needed to be given therapy to help me work through my issues, not affirm to my delusion that by transforming into a boy, it would solve all my problems. We need to stop telling 12-year-olds that they are born wrong, that they are right to reject their own bodies and feel uncomfortable with their own skin. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option, that they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through, just so they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. Today, I should be at home with my family celebrating my 19th birthday, and instead I'm making a desperate plea to my elected, re- my elected representatives. Learn the lessons from other medical scandals like the opioid crisis to recognize that doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. My childhood was ruined along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. Thank you. Powerful, powerful words. Governor DeWine, I hope you hear these words. People in Ohio right now, I hope you hear these words. I want to continue this discussion. I'm honored to be joined now by Dr. Jennifer Bowen. She's the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. She also testified along with Chloe on Capitol Hill that day. Powerful, powerful day it was. Uh, Dr. Bowens, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you for being here. It's good to be with you, Jody. All right. I don't know that it gets any more profound than the testimony we just heard from Chloe. You were there. Uh, You sat uh, right in the room. You testified yourself as a professional on this issue. Describe the atmosphere in the House hearing room after Chloe spoke. You know, it's, it's so powerful the the testimony that she gave because she in just a short um, time she depicted the major issues that surround this issue and that is um, the whole transgender ideology is a created concept and it is you know they say that biological sex is a created concept well you if you follow that logic all the way through you have to come back to yes and you created this idea of transgender too and there is no objective objective test to test um what you're proposing that people are the opposite um sex of what they are actually biologically um endowed with and um and i think what what chloe did was she she highlighted that you know, in, in the room, you could you could tell that the responses um, were people were shaken because there is no response to the objective reality of our biological sex. Um, all of this other stuff is is fantasy and conjecture and people making up concepts about our biological sex. And when you present the research and you actually um, begin to unpack it, there is no response. So, you know, someone like myself, I didn't get any questions. They're not going to ask questions about um, what has been veiled on this topic for many years. And that's what they do. They, they're, they've been using research to veil the truth 
about what is really going on behind the scenes of uh, quote unquote gender affirming care. And you know, some, here's someone like Chloe Cole. And unfortunately, there are many other Chloe Coles who've had to, who've been victimized by this ideology and by the, the practices that go along with it. Well, and just by her testimony alone, that, that phrase, gender affirming care, it seems to me that Chloe totally shredded that concept with the treatment that she was really pushed into and her parents were forced to accept. It was anything but care. It was destructive. It destroyed her life. And what is genuine care is to help people, from her own testimony, to help people through those struggles that they're having. Now, you are an expert in trauma and the effects that trauma has on people. Uh, talk about what you've learned from your experiencing with, your experiences with detransitioners and the traumatic effects that these procedures have on them. Yeah, I think the, the first thing we have to realize is that the whole presenting issue, you know, if, by that I mean if someone comes to a therapeutic setting and they're saying they're presenting with discomfort in their body and they are immediately fast-tracked into this gender-affirming care pathway, um, what happens is because of the counseling bans that are in so many states and because of the nature that surrounds the gender-affirming or the gender dysphoria uh, idea, therapists don't explore. So they kids immediately get fast-tracked onto this pathway and their true issues aren't getting dealt with. And that's what Chloe Cole was bringing out in her testimony is that she had other underlining conditions that were not being addressed by the therapist. They were um, being completely ignored. So right off the bat, we have a situation where kids are, are not getting um, therapy or treatment for their true issues. And now they have um, other <laughs> complications that come from this so-called treatment. And those, those complications include physical damage to their body. Because if a kid goes onto puberty blockers and then onto the cross-sex hormones, it's almost a guaranteed sterility. And then um, on top of that, we can't forget about the psychological ramifications of basically we're parentifying children. Children weren't meant to be parents. That's why we call it child rearing because they, meet, they need uh, leadership. They need um, an adult to be in the room that's going to protect them. And so when they're put in a position where they are making major life decisions that are going to affect the rest of their, their life, they're going to affect the rest of their physical life, their sexual future sexual life, as well as their psychology, because um, something happens to the brain when you thwart it through puberty blockers, you put other, uh, another sex's hormones into your system. You know, remember, you can't forget what it was like to go through puberty, and we called it hormonal for a reason, and now we're going to add the opposite sex hormones into our systems. Imagine what that's gonna produce psychologically. And then, um, Jody, of course, there's spiritual harms to this. Right, because we have we have a whole um, group of people. Maybe they're educators, or even our parents. Like Chloe's parents got sucked into this ideology and attempt to help help their child. And so, when we have that, um, when that occurs, it 
we're given family to reflect who God is and God's nature. And that impacts us spiritually as well, because are we going to believe in the future that God is really going to protect us? Or are we going to believe that um, we have to make all the decisions ourselves, that we have to be in charge, and that we don't have someone who's looking out for us and caring for us? So there are lots of ramifications physically, emotionally, and spiritually um, when it comes to the damage that comes from gender-affirming care. And all of this... uh those of us like yourself and many others who try to stand in the gap are accused of denying these people of life-saving care. It's just unbelievable. Uh, Dr. Bowens, our time is running out, and I I want to get this last comment to you, and I want to put on the screen again the number to Governor DeWine's office that people can uh, call in and give their input to him and encourage him to sign this bill. But in the last uh, little bit that we have, how would you advise Governor Mike DeWine, if he sincerely wishes to protect children, what would you say to him? I would say, if you really um, want to protect kids, first of all, recognize that you have research on your side. Anyone in any nation that has delved into the research uh, that's been used to support these practices has come away saying, it does not exist. This is not life-saving care. You cannot prove it from any um, uh, scientific empirical standpoint. Second, you have psychology, developmental psychology on your side. We know we have tons of studies that show development happens um, not until kids are 25. So um, there's enough. Dr. Jennifer uh, Bowens, we've got to leave it right there. Thank you so much, Director of FRC's Center for Family Studies. Friends, a lot on the program today. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.